1: Now, the next thing I want you to notice, up above the temple area, the Antonia Fortress was where the Roman garrison had barracks. It's where the Roman soldiers were. There were hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Roman soldiers housed in that Antonia Fortress, which was adjacent. It was right there next to the temple.
0: It's hard to imagine what it must have been like in the time of the disciples after Jesus returned to heaven. Pastor Robert paints us a picture today of one of the realities being a massive and overpopulated fortress or military building. It apparently shared space with the temple and had a zero tolerance for disorder. Stick around after today's message from Pastor Robert. I have quite a bit of information that I'd like to share with you, our web address, podcast subscription information and our contact information. Now, here's Pastor Robert in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he begins his message, Best Laid Plans.
2: His love is the main thing.
1: Continuing in Acts chapter 21, just continuing to study the Bible together, but as I was reading this passage, God, I think, brought something to mind. It's just a little phrase that many of us are familiar with that we've, we've heard it used, but it, it piqued my curiosity. Where did that little phrase come from? And I, as I googled the phrase, I was directed to a poem, a poem that was written about, I don't know, 300 years ago by... A famous Scottish poet named Robert Burns. Robert Burns was known as like the Scottish Shakespeare. And he wrote a poem, To a Mouse. That's the title, actually, To a Mouse. This little mouse carefully planned and painstakingly built for himself a nice little nest out in the middle of a field. What he had no way of foreseeing was that the field he had chosen in which to build himself a nest was about to be plowed. And as the farmer prepared his field for planting, that beautiful little nest, which had been so meticulously constructed, was suddenly destroyed. Now, from this famous poetic analogy, we get the expression that the best laid plans of mice and men still come to nothing or go awry. What does a poem about a mouse and a farmer have to do with our studies in the book of Acts? Well, last week in the first section of Acts chapter 21, we saw that the leaders, the elders of the church in Jerusalem, had devised a plan for helping to vindicate the apostle Paul. They had asked Paul to demonstrate his ongoing adherence to Jewish tradition by funding the fulfillment of a vow, which had been made by four Jewish followers of Christ and by going through the ceremonial purification rites with them. And Paul submitted himself to that plan. He submitted himself to the church leaders. He paid for, um, you know, paid the expenses of those four men. He went through the purification rites with them. He did the whole thing. And we pick up Luke's account in Acts 21, 26, which says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. It's a massive, massive area. Thousands of people fit in that broader, that, that larger temple compound area. But within that temple, there was a section reserved only for Jewish men. Now, we know most of us have heard, you know, about the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in there. Then there was the holy place where only Jewish men who had been through the purification, you know, they'd taken a bath, they'd done all these different things, they could be in there. And then there was an an outer court where the women could be and the court of the Gentiles. But Gentiles, non-Jewish men and women, were not considered They were not set apart unto the Lord. They weren't sanctified. So they weren't allowed to go into the temple itself. They were only allowed in those outer courts. And it was blasphemy, punishable by death, for a Gentile to enter or for a Jewish person to take a Gentile into that area. So that's what this big uproar was about. Now, the next thing I want you to notice, up above the temple area, the Antonia Fortress was where the Roman garrison had barracks. It's where the Roman soldiers were. There were hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Roman soldiers housed in that Antonia Fortress which was adjacent. It was right there next to the temple. Now, that becomes important when we read the next passage, continuing at verse 30. It says, all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison. Now, this would be like the general over at Southcom, the Southern Command, right? The commanding general. This was the commanding Roman military official there in that Antonia fortress. News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, you understand, if you're a Roman general and the city is in an uproar, this is uncool. This can't be allowed to continue because the Romans valued order above it. They didn't allow protests. You didn't have a a right to protest like we do in the United States. You couldn't just say, you know, I'm going to get a permit and do a protest down in South Beach. The, The Romans were like, negative. No, we don't allow that at all, period. They didn't put up with the uproar. So they find out all Jerusalem is in an uproar. Immediately, he took soldiers And centurions, that's how we know there were thousands of soldiers, centurions, plural, and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. There were enough Roman soldiers involved that it kind of stopped the crowd. Then the commander came near and took him, took Paul and commanded him to be bound with two chains, in other words, between two soldiers, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. So into the fortress now. Verse 35, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. But Paul was being accused of exactly the kind of blasphemous behavior that the church elders had hoped to help him to refute. He goes along with their plan. But the carefully thought out plan of the church leadership backfired. Now, listen, that does happen sometimes, That does happen. What struck me here, one of the things that I want you to notice is that even with godly, prayerful, spirit-filled leaders, these were the very first elders in the church in Jerusalem.